everyone. This is Crystal and Mark, and you're watching M4G Advocacy Media. This is the Journey Series podcast. We're already on season three. We just started a new year, and uh, and welcome to all those who are just joining us for the first time. And today's guest is Shelley Nearing, who's going to talk to us about her journey, her diagnosis, and uh, whatever else she has going on. Hi, Shelley. Hi. So my journey is kind of really windy. Um, it's I didn't know I was had any disabilities till I was nineteen, but I was involved in the disability community since I was five. My sister had, was born with a developmental delay. Uh, she was born with the um, umbilical cord wrapped around her neck. So I've been around people with high support needs since I was five. Um, I now see autistic traits in her as I've been diagnosed with autism at 37, but it doesn't matter at, um, her diagnosis is not going to change her funding model at all in Canada. So um, starting back, I'll start back. I'll try to keep this linear. I kind of speak spider webby, but I'll kind of keep it linear. Um, so in, when I was in grade four, they decided that since I couldn't read till grade four, um, and now I'm an avid reader, but so they decided to do some tests, like the tests that you test for learning disabilities and whatnot. And they totally missed dyslexia. Probably because the autism that they they didn't they just they didn't do all the tests and they missed dyslexia. Dyslexia is not new. It was around since the 19th, the early 1900s. So they just missed it. So I just worked really hard and I grew up um, helping raise my sister with uh, Jen, I'll just, her name's Jen. And um, because my parents had to work. And when I was in grade six, the government decided to say that my sister wasn't disabled enough. And they said they were going to sue my parents. And my parents had to get three doctors to say that her developmental delay is not going to change. So that kind of why I bring that up is because that that really stuck with me to say that the government can come back and say, no, that's not a right. Like this, you're not delayed. She has developmentally ADHD and hearing impairment. Nothing, none of that is gonna change um, and saying you're not disabled enough. So that really left a mark on me that they can come after your parents. Um, sure. So, No, no I'm sure. Yeah, we're just agreeing with you. Yeah, it really left a mark on me, and I was only 12. So that left a really impact. I thought it was the uh, um, provincial government, but it was the federal government that came after my parents for um, the tax credit or something. Um, it was back in the 90s, so I don't remember a lot, but it still left a mark, and my parents don't like talking about it. So that did then, um, and then I found out later that the provincial government didn't, um, my sister at 13, which is an age that 
they let um, people, if you're, if you cannot be left alone in Canada, they'll let you in Alberta, they will um, provide someone to come help you, you if your parents are working, if the child, if, if the 13 year old can't be left alone. Well, they didn't do that for my sister. So me and my other sister, um, instead of working to pay for saving up for college and university, we took care of my other sister. Um, so but that, that gave us a really close relationship. And then that then about when I graduated, between each jump to the different, um, like from elementary to junior high, I had little breakdowns. And then junior high to high school, there was a bigger breakdown. Well, I had a huge breakdown from junior high or high school to post-secondary because things are changing and being autistic, even I didn't know, we don't like transitions. <laughs> so I ended up in the mental health world and they've diagnosed at 19, um, I try to get accommodations because in grade 12, they just gave me accommodations because I was having a breakdown. So they used whatever they did in grade four, um, which I have no idea what they did in grade four. They didn't diagnose me with anything, but they gave me accommodations. So I try to do that at the college. They're like, um, Jolly, we can't give you accommodations on this. But because they have something called a duty to accommodate back in 2001, they gave me a psych psychological education assessment which came up with that I was dyslexic, missed that I was autistic, but I also had anxiety, general and social and panic attacks, which I didn't know I was having, um, and severe depression. I expected dyslexia. I did not expect any of the mental health stuff. That was a big shocker because I just thought that's what everybody else did or had. So I started getting accommodations and I started getting went to mental went to therapy and then started on that road and went down I sorry I was in post-secondary um was kind of pushed into um science and math or science and business and that's not me I was on academic warning because I don't do math I don't fit that autistic stereotype um, and then I decided to go into disability studies because social work had the 50 hour volunteer requirement and I didn't want to volunteer at that point, which is ironic now because I volunteer a lot. <laughs> and so a year later, I ended up on um, the Dean's List because that was my area um, and disability studies. Um, and then I continued on to community rehab, which is still an extension of a disability studies. Um, and during that time between um, another transition, uh, finishing my bachelor's and before I was accepted to my master's, I ended up, um, I also got hurt at work because I was also working in the community rehab field um, in group homes, um, which, that's another topic for another day. Um, <laughs> I hurt my back because I don't have, I have very um, tight muscles and I probably shouldn't have been done, doing anything physical, but I didn't know any of this. 
I just did, I wanted to work in the field where I was getting my education so that I didn't finish my education and go, oh, I don't like this. And then have to do something different like a lot of people end up doing. Yeah. So I, I did that. And then I ended up having a breakdown because um, tra transitions seemed to be my trigger point. And I ended up in the hospital for a month. But the ironic thing about being in the hospital for a month was that I wasn't a harm to myself. I wasn't a harm to anyone else. And I wasn't formed. I was just that I was in an autistic burnout and they didn't know what to do with me. That's why I was there that long. And they didn't figure out that I was autistic. I've been, I didn't find out that I was autistic till 37. So 2020, no 30, yeah, 37, 38. And I've been in the mental health um, around mental health professionals since I was 19 and only one thought that I was autistic. I, I guess I masked that well. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've had about four burnouts. I'm in a burnout right now, but I'm, uh, which caused a lot of physical issues right now. We have talked to so many people who have the ability, and I mean, when you live in a world of ableist people who say, fake it or make it, you know, people with disability. Give it until you make it. Yeah, I'm sorry. Fake it until you make it. Whatever. Sorry. Uh, um, thank you. Um, it, it often, it, you know, it, in the medical community, it makes it harder for them because we are, in essence, as is having a disability, we are doing just what we're told to do, you know, mm -hmm. and take it a second. And, um, uh, so then it becomes harder for the medical community to correctly diagnose people because we're so good at masking it. So then we have a situation like now where people are not being diagnosed until much later, you know, because of that, you know, and the, the medical community, I feel like is at a loss and they're like, oh, uh, oops, you know, you know, um, so yeah, I totally get that. We, you know, it's not uncommon. And there's also another uh, layer to add on to what you were saying, Chris. Another layer that I totally get because I went through it. It's where, you know, there's this pressure unspoken or whatever, to fake it until you make it. And then there's also internal pressure, which you feel because you're not living true to who you are. And that all kind of adds up and eventually it sort of snowballs and you just burn out or whatever. So as a, I guess, uh, another way of, 
of doing face, uh, fake it till you make it, we like to use face it and embrace it. Yes. So, I like that. Like, uh, so, you no, know, as a way of saying we are who we are, you know, accept who we are, we're having to accept to be are. <laughs> You know, don't try to fix us. Do what we need to support us as we are. So let us embrace it and face it. And you do the same. I get so many, oh, you can't be autistic. It's like 37 years of masking. Yes, I can be. You don't live with me. (laughs) And it's also that internal ableism. Internal ableism and the shame. Right. Yeah. And um, what was and the like the not knowing. I didn't know what pain was. How I how I interpreted pain until this last year. I didn't know what pain felt like in my body. I have a very high pain tolerance. Um. <laughs> And then I also didn't, I realized I didn't, I never, I'm never hungry. I'm never, I can, I, I can't overeat, but I'm never full. And I never feel like I have to go to the bathroom until it's like, oh, I really got to go. <laughs> like I, I, that's why I have a really bad relationship with my body. And I think a lot of um, parents may not understand that with their autistic children is that, they can't communicate that they're like in pain. Um, my sister has a very high pain tolerance. She had um, strep throat so bad that she, the, her um, supportive roommate only noticed when she couldn't swallow properly. And um, and I had my gallbladder out. Uh, I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't like really explain it. And it was scar tissue and lesioned at 22. And they just kept writing it off as IBS. Yeah. And I had a lot of health issues that were started very young that were only filed out until I switched doctors at 2016. That would have been like, I, I don't want to show it because it's not a very, it's the scar is better, but I had a huge aneurysm in my hand. It's called a venous malformation that I was born with. And it was found out at 38. And I had to, anyways, it just like, we as disabled people don't get the medical treatment that we need. Cause it was the size of my hand when if it was, and it was very intense procedure. If that was, I was born with, I was almost 40 by the time they found it. Cause I thought it was a cyst. And it was not, it was just a little bump. I didn't know. But it's a, a sad set of fears when you can't, you can't rely on the ex, quote unquote experts to know, like essentially our diagnosis these days are limited to whatever um, knowledge and experience and the per- doctor you choose to go to has. Yeah. Right. And in Canada, it's a bit different because there's like a doctor, family doctor shortage. Like my family doctor now is great. We found so much, but before I had so many issues. 
um, that all the all the stuff was there before, but we didn't find it. Mm. But um, I'm so glad that I found out that I was autistic. Um, it is allowing me to unmask slowly. Walk through a lot of therapy. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Um, to unmask and to try, truly find out who I am and not who others want me to be. Right. And I like that face it and embrace it. That's basically what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. That's what people have to do. You know, yeah. um, we've been brainwashed and not just the disability community, everybody as a whole. Uh, that's the mentality we've been told to have. And, you know, it's messed up so many people and steered people in the wrong direction, you know, and not not pointing fingers, as we said, you know, but at the same time, also because, you know, that was what they were taught, you know, their parents and their parents, you know, generational, you know, but we just, we don't want to change everything. Obviously, there were some really good parts about our childhood and you know, growing up and stuff like that. But at the same time, we have to shift those things that derailed us right. to be who we're not, you know. And we gotta embrace finding who we are again and embrace that and face it, you know. Even if it was stuff was put in the way to derail us, we've got to be able to face that and say, okay, this is what I was given. This is the things I've had to deal with. And now it's time for me to face it and go forward. Exactly. I, I, I wrote a blog um, and I said, I think it's a myth that every disabled person wants a cure. I don't want a cure. And I've read a lot of people, they, we don't want cures. We want acceptance and equality. Um, we want equal access. Like we want ramps and we want not, um, we don't want businesses just to be, yes, I know um, renovations are very expensive, but if you have stairs to the front of your building and it's like three stairs, how much does it actually cost to fix those stairs and make it a ramp? or make it easier to get in. And with the baby boomers aging, it would be advantageous to your business to do that. Um, like the older parts of the city, all the base bathrooms are in the basements. I won't go to those establishments. They're not, I guess they're not really for me, but anyways, they're more trendy, but <laughs> that's not the point. The point is that the, ba the bathrooms are in the basement and, with my knees, I can't go down those stairs and the smell in the basement are just horrendous sometimes. So I can't go down there. Um, I won't go down there. Mm -hmm. um, and in it, when we make access like curb cuts and elevators, those are just the two obvious ones and escalators, it makes accessible for everyone. And I don't think people realize that like curb cuts make it accessible for all. So making it accessible for people with disabilities makes it accessible for all. Right. Yeah. And I think. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. 
<laughs> and and I, I when I'm I was thinking about my sister. I'm her guardian and trustee, and I think it's conservatorship in the states, and it's changing the language around that. Sometimes language is a big thing for me. I say I don't speak for her. I I advocate. I amplify her voice, what she wants, because um, she is her own person. I just make sure that she's safe and that her voice is heard. And I think that um, sometimes that's missed in um, with, with the people with developmental disabilities that a lot of people talk for them and it's not oh, it should be amplifying their voice, they have voice. That's what, that's what, that's what she's taught me. She's taught me so much. Mm -hmm. We were driving home and one time. Oh, sorry. I think that's where people get confused, you know, the whole conservatorship thing and trustee thing. Sure, you know, people with the developmental disorders or, you know, they're, they, they may be more born as lucky or whatever. Um, they might need some help, but it doesn't mean that you are totally in control of them and you can voice everything for them. So that's very appreciated that you understand that and help her facilitate what she needs to do to be safe and healthy. Yeah, she's she's been the biggest teacher in my life and 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 I and I've seen how ableism has hurt her like she used to love hearing aids with bright stuff and now it's kind of muted because people stared at her mm -hmm. and that that hurt me and mm -hmm. that's why I I started one reason I did start my blog is to to talk about things that about ableism basically and change of language because language needs to change but also how the actions behind like why we I think Trevor Noah said the best if you change the words but you don't change the thoughts behind it you don't actually change anything and I think that's what we need with disabilities because that you're right parents were taught because that's how they were taught and that's how they were taught and that's how they were taught but we got to break that cycle and I think right. by telling our stories that you know we have great stories that make sense you know it, now like I was saying you know we don't want to point fingers and blame people you know we want to do it in a cultural way of being able to say this is the kind of situations that we've dealt with and yeah. we, we just want to be seen as it what you have and who you are you know yeah. and just because we've had things taken away from us or where it's harder to obtain things through the government or whatever it's just because we're, we were never given an equal playing field from the beginning you know it's not our fault so stop your enabling kind of things because what you were giving given initially, it you know it gave you the ability not to have to struggle, and you know it's, 
It, I think it's just a lot of misunderstandings. And what we're here to do is help facilitate those notions and different biases that <laughs> were are in place that, you know, we, we, we just need to have. And that's why, you know, we, we just want to be a platform for people to be able to share their experiences. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, like, like we were saying, the whole face and brace thing on the one level, it's an individual it's for us as disabled people to face what we're dealing with and embrace it. Mm -hmm. But what we also have to get society as a whole to see is that they have to face us and embrace us, mm -hmm. right? Um too often disability is looked at as a problem that needs to be fixed. The way it should be looked at is um, these individuals, this community is highlighting an opportunity to fix a problem and the problem is not. <laughs> no, it's inaccessible design and inaccessible. And I, it, like we're the biggest marginalized group ever or are um yeah. i think it's it's in the billions um i i, I was looking at world health and i think we're the, we are the largest and i think it's underreported because of gatekeeping and whatnot um or people just not knowing that's so stigmas <laughs> in general yes. or people People are ashamed or they're shamed into not discussing what they're going through. Exactly. So I think it's even the numbers lower. I think it's 17 billion, but I think the number is higher. I mean, um, um, yeah. <laughs> and like I, I worked 10 times harder than the average person from K to 12 because I didn't know I was dyslexic or autistic. And I even finished my master's not knowing. I knew I had a written learning disability, but they changed it to dyslexia sometime during um, some DSM change. Um, so I didn't, I just knew I had a written learning disability. I didn't know I had dyslexia or um, autism until after I finished my master's. But I still did it. And my master's was my highest GPA out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> We discussed the whole thing about, you know, not disability not being diagnosed yeah. until later in life. Okay. Yeah. So how can the numbers reported be correct? Because there are so many people that are not diagnosed that don't they don't know how to diagnose them. No, still, you know, still. So how can that be correct? I I also think, uh, do you mean 1.7 billion? Because you said 17 billion, which is more, more, more than the people we have on the planet. Yes, I meant 1.7. I, I am horrible with numbers. This, I, that's why I'm in social work, because I'm horrible with numbers. Um, yeah, Although, or it. 
to think that maybe, you know, at some level, everybody has a disability. So that might be somewhat true. <laughs> but I do. Oh, I, I forgot to say on my journey to get uh, discovered autistic in 2016, I had another psych ed done. They did the FSIQ, uh, full scale IQ. And there's only, from what my psychologist friend told me, is there's only two um, places where IQ is, there's a gap, is if you have severe trauma or autism. Autism. I had a 46 point difference in my IQ and they still missed that I was autistic. They didn't take in any of my rigidity since I was a kid. They missed my sensory. So they just confirmed what I had in 2019. So that was in 2016. That's the only thing I'm mad about is because I could have spent another four years of unmasking and going through therapy and figuring it out. So in 2020, I decided, because some I did some of like the self-diagnosis of really looking at some of the tests and going, yeah, maybe I really am autistic. And I wanted to know for sure because of all the tests I've had and it was all missed. So I found a lady who, a doctor who actually, doctor psychology who actually, sorry, who actually worked with women and children, uh, girls, um, because mostly you find a lot of men or um, not, people that work with boys and kids that um, are autistic. So it was a little pricey, but I'm so thankful for insurance. Um, I spent over two grand Canadian to find out that oh. I was, yes, in fact, autistic. Um, so even though I had the two reports before that confirmed that, yes, I was autistic because they could never, um, could never give me an IQ because it would not be an accurate representation of my skills. So that was my journey. It took two, two, um, uh, psych, ed psych, psych educational assessment where it should usually only take one if they know what they're looking for and the second one in 2016 said is she ADHD or is she autistic and they still said no and I was told by many that I would that no women in, aut uh, in autism that I was I was learned to mask from a little from a young age It, it's just a bit frustrating. Yeah. Bye. And it's it's very important to get an accurate diagnosis because um obviously you, you end up maybe dismissing your own situation because the experts didn't don't see what's wrong. And that sometimes they'll even outright tell you that you can have this because I know everything and you don't know anything. You're not the doctor. Yeah, exactly. And I, I told one, so I was 37, 38 and I said, I'm autistic. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, at this age, I think I'm going for the autism diagnosis, not sorry. And she was right out of med school too. I'm like, that, I, that's some ableism right there. 
Yeah. Like, oh, at that point, you kind of wonder, are they saying, I'm sorry not to dismiss your theory of what you might have, but they would rather diagnose you? And so they're just saying, sorry for that matter? Or what do you think happened? She was saying, sorry, that I was autistic. That I was diagnosed autistic. I was telling her that I got a diagnosis of autism. Oh, okay. Got it. And I'm like, I'm seeking it because it made more sense. And I'm kind of happy for it because it makes my life make sense. Yeah. It could be that uh, she wasn't necessarily thinking of that. And maybe she just kind of, that's what she's been taught to say or brought up to say whenever someone yeah. is feeling bad or has a disability or has something you don't understand to say sorry. And plus yeah. she is probably Canadian, right? Yes, <laughs> that's true. We say sorry for everything. Yeah. <laughs> but just I'm at the point I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I wanted the diagnosis because that means my life makes sense. It's not a sorry thing. It's a good thing. <laughs> but that makes sense that she was growing up taught to say, oh, for like, that makes sense. I never thought of it that way. But yeah, yeah. It's, it was, it was what I meant by a windy journey for my diagnosis. So I mostly identify as disabled first before like autism is part of it, but I've been in the disability community because of all the mental health stuff and the dyslexia and with my sister because I know sometimes that the the dis autism is kind of some sometimes separate from the disability community but which it shouldn't be it just it should just all, it's all under the same umbrella yeah so you had mentioned you had done teaching what did you teach I didn't I've been I've more been teaching oh teaching I've more, um, sorry, if I may, I more am. Well, well, and whenever you're ready, it will, it's okay. Yeah. I, I've worked in the disability field for a long time and like 20 years now, I, I'm yeah. aging myself. <laughs> um, I've more been a caseworker and I've, um, I did work with young kids and were taught teaching life skills for some mm -hmm. years, but I never taught classes. I've been doing writing oh. blogs and I wanted to teach about ableism. That's where I was going. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I misunderstood. No, that's okay. I sometimes I talk in uh, spider webs and I do get to a point, but <laughs> I'm trying to be very linear. Um, and so I did start a blog because. To, to teach about ableism, but not like pointing fingers at say the government or anything and just saying, this is what one can do themselves if one's looking to um, change language or change their own practice. And mm -hmm. just, just writing, because I eventually want to write a book. Because mm -hmm. I just see so much out there. Yeah. Definitely, and there's a lot that can be talked about in a book or in any, you yeah. know. You've had several guests that, you know, it's incredibly important for like screenwriting or any kind of, you know, film 
or anything like that to be able to express, you know, the symbolism and the actual experiences of what we've dealt with, you know, and what better way to do that than visually or, you know, different people learn and understand in different ways. Some more visually, some, you know, like you're talking about in a book. And I mean, <laughs> so that's good that you're also looking to do the same thing. Because I want to leave the world a better place than I left it or came into it. That's right. how I think about it. Because you can't change your past. You can't change your parents or your ancestors, but you can change what you do moving forward. That's the only thing you can do learn about the history but change what you do moving forward and I, I learned that sometimes I I can't always get what's in my head out and writing sometimes writing is more easier for me to get what's in my head out and that's how our the the people in the future can learn and that's how we learn right we read books we watch movie documentaries not just entertainment movies but we learn from watching things in the past to know hey I'm not going to do that again or well some of it we have you know but sadly but um for the most part people have been able to say hey let's go forward and let's advance society and by learning what we have done in the past that didn't work well, I'm sorry, but this is not working. You know, let's let's discuss and try to implement ways that people can take what our experiences and do other things with it. Exactly. Yeah, I that's, think. That's what I, I think. Sorry. Um, I think. I think things are changing slowly, mm-hmm. but. No, it's um, there's still people who are interested in things not changing because it means that they lose power or money or whatever. It, because it fits their narrative. Yeah, and I and I there's a there's a saying, and I, I I'm going to butcher it, but equal rights are it's not a pie everybody gets or it's like equal when everybody has equal rights it's like a pie everybody gets a piece or something like if you don't lose power like people they have it in their head that they're going to lose stuff but equal rights for me and equal rights for you is just a oh i butchered it i'm sorry <laughs> i have it oh just a second it's on the uh, it's on the other side of my screen but it but they're not going to lose rights. It's just, they think they are. It's like, I'm reading a disability pride uh, post ADA. And it's like, people thought that they were going to lose, they're going to, industries were going to go bankrupt because they're going to have to employ people with disabilities. And that was just a load of BS. Yeah. It's primarily told by people who want things to stay the same. Mm -hmm. It's just like when, um, when TV came out and all these people on radio started saying, oh, no, we can't do that. It's like, uh, no, the world's going to end <laughs> or whatever they were saying, right? It's, it's not. Just, it's just, uh, 
Yeah. You're so right. It, it, and like when it's been proven, like curb cuts, elevators, like audiobooks, the more access you give, the more access for all. Because audiobooks, yes, are books. Um, I've seen that debate going on, <laughs> are cheaper than Braille. And as, as the baby boomers, I'm going to use them again, age, they're going to love audiobooks because large print books are expensive. Mm -hmm. so. And uh, other thing that people don't necessarily look at, people who are in power or have control is, are you serving everyone, right? Yeah. And if you're not serving everyone, then maybe you, maybe you need to be obsolete. <laughs> maybe you need to be done away with. Yeah. And so. For and allow for something better to come along. Yeah. Some, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mine was, my, what I was going to say was totally on a different topic. <laughs> so go ahead. Oh, I, I lost what I was going to say. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. My memory is really bad. Um, that's that's the that's the 40 point 46 point gap is my memory because the anxiety and autism is that my memory is really my working yeah. memory yeah so what I was gonna say um is that we are going through that experience right now like a conversation we had recently we just had our website um fully uh, functional as far as accessibility goes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about, is it necessary for everything to be transcribed? Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Because um, the older generation, uh, rec recently, I mean, um, has thinks that, it's better to have someone signing. And while that's an awesome thing to know and to make available, but it's more, um, it makes more sense to have everything trans transcribed and captions on the screen because they can read. Most people that know signing can also read. So, and that helps more than just people who need saying. That helps the older generation, that, you know. So, I, you know, it's kind of a sticky situation because you don't want to batch people that are having those interpreters, you know, or I mean, the signing interpreter, right? Am I saying that right? Um, but at the same time, what is more economical and what makes more sense to to make make more accessible financially to people? It makes financial sense to do it transcribed because in sign language interpreters are expensive. And like, but say like if you have a conference, it makes sense to have a sign language interpreter if you, if it's disability related, even if it's not. Um, but also for the transcription for audio processing disorder. 
because sometimes I, I, a lot of times I have the, um, I have the trans, uh, the cap closed captions on because I don't always process what people are saying. So it's also. Right. Yeah. And then on a, like if you're live or, you know, in a person conference, as you said, you know, of course you want to have the option, the signing option, you know, but if something is pre-recorded like this, you know, uh, having the captions there, you know, like if we're, I know this is also on podcast, so it would be more of an auditory thing, but, you know, I got to think at some point, like places like Spotify or Apple, Pandora, wherever it does podcasts, would also have the option of being able to read what we're saying as well. Yeah, the transcript, that's all that, that's all you can do because it's, it's, it's too cost prohibitive to have an interpreter for just a mm -hmm. pre-recorded thing, but for like live huge events, it makes sense. Yeah, totally. So um, do you want to talk about what you, are you working on anything now, Shelly, or do you have any I, project right now? I'm working on my blog. Um, it's Oh, maybe if we can link it in the description because yeah. I will mess it up by speaking it speaking it out. Um, and I'm I want to write a book about ableism because a lot of the book I read a lot of the books and I love Leah Lakshmi's care work and she talks about disability justice. She um, she they um, I like I love their work. Um, and others too, and like I mean, Liddell, they talk about ableism, but I want a whole book about ableism. Like, there's academic ableism, but I, I haven't read that one yet. Um, but I think it's all about university. I wanted to go more into like um, the education, or not education, but like healthcare, and like stereotypes and microaggressions of every day that happen. Like, oh, I'm sorry that you're or or I, I couldn't do what you do. Yes, you can, you really have no choice. Hmm. Like, like just those, or just those small microaggressions that people think that they're, um, that they're doing for nice, that they're actually nice things, but they're actually microaggressions that people don't really know. So I, that's my project, just so that people, because when you know better, you do better. Hmm. That's my hope anyways. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely what I mean by leaving a legacy, you yeah. know, as disabled people, um, so that people have history to go on and media to go on, books to go on, to know this happened, it, it didn't work. Let's let's not do that again. <laughs> let's go forward, you know. Yeah. And I don't want us to go forward to a movie kind of like Gattaca, like that 90s movie Gattaca, where the um the genetic let's 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 make us all perfect. And it's like, no, then we're not unique. Why I don't want to be like Joe next door. No. Don't try to do that, but don't try to fix us either. You know? Exactly. So I think that's a good reference. Like, let's stay away from Gattaca. 
that that's my reference. I know it's a really old one, but it it's still timely. Yeah. I've seen it a couple of times and we just recently watched it together. It's a good movie, but uh, it definitely has a lot of things to discuss in Gantka. Oh, okay. Yeah, the genetic engineering we don't need. Yeah, but that's a whole topic for another day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm uh, really into yes. a lot of disability stuff. Oh my goodness. Yeah, when it comes to genetically <laughs> genetics and why some of the things are like they are and why yeah. our disabilities maybe are you know worse than they are. It's yeah. kind of like um <laughs> Well, uh, kind of go back and look what you're doing to docs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, another that's a whole nother discussion. <laughs> D- disability and uh, disability and ableism, disability rights are kind of my area where I've done like a really, really, really deep dive. Um, or as we call it, special interests. And uh, as far as that goes in Canada, anyways, what uh, what do you think are the next steps that need to be taken to empower disabled the disabled community? Right now, we're having trouble with Bill C twenty two, which I don't really want to get into because it's the uh, right to die, and they've mm-hmm. uh, we're having a big problem with that. People are choosing to. Uh, and their lives because they're not getting enough support, right, from the government That's support. So that problem. is a big issue. Big issue. Mm-hmm. They just finally they did they stopped because they were going to allow mental health to go into it. It's called MAID, M A I D, both because it's small. I don't. I'm trying not to get into it because I'm. It's really emotional, um, mm-hmm. because I think that's we need more support I know that we have different support than the states um but they're still still not good but they're still um, yeah yeah there's still a lot of gatekeeping wait lists it's just sometimes it depends on what caseworker you get and sometimes in some areas and the federal government you're not talking to the same person at at the same time so you have to keep telling your story so there's a lot that needs to be changed yeah, not only does it have to do with the supports you have, the government's options you have, but also, you know, what race you are. Yes, that's so, it. Yeah, we have a lot of, yeah. Canada has different, we have a lot of anti-Indigenous hate up here. Um, a lot of that, um, we... There is a lot of unhoused because of the um, residential trauma, residential school trauma. That uh, it that's a whole other thing. There is Canada is not as perfect as everybody seems to think it is. Like we're yeah. we're there's a lot. Yeah. 
I think there's a lot everywhere we don't yeah. know about. Yeah. Because I, sorry. There's not many uh, tropes that are true, but I think we can say the the one statement that the grass is always greener is kind of true. No. <laughs> but there's From like, the oh, yeah, we do have universal health care, but we pay it through our taxes. So we have higher taxes and our dollar is not worth as much. But you still have to wait. Like I'm on long term disability because I'm waiting for doctors and surgeries. Hmm. Like I could be working, but I'm waiting. So it, it, it just, but I still think universal health care is needed everywhere because med, it should just be a right, not a privilege. Exactly. Yeah. But that's another topic. Yes. There's so many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about, you know, people not given the same playing field, you know, yeah. in disability, but that, like we just talked about, that also deals with different races and different yeah. poverty levels and just things like that, you know, so I totally appreciate and understand the difficulties you know, different races have struggled with. And throwing in a disability makes it 10 times as hard. You know, I'm fortunate, you know, in that I'm white, you know, and, you know, I'm laughing about it, but it, it's only because it's a stupid reality. Human is human. You know, yeah. just because my skin color, don't throw me under the bus because I'm white. It's not my fault I'm white, but everybody deserves the same exact human basic rights. Yeah, and I think, like, because, like, they don't understand my pain because being autistic and my pain is higher. And I'm like, if you won't even listen to me, what happens if somebody, I'm a cis white female who's I'm a big girl and autistic. What happens if somebody's more has more marginalizations than I do? Are you not going to listen to them if you're not listening to me? So that makes me even that makes me so mad. So I fight and I ask why. And people hate that. It's not that I'm asking why to um to um challenge their authority I'm just asking why are you making this decision because like why could like what's the reason behind it I need to understand not to challenge anybody and but I think I, it's a challenge I said it right then you may not be doing it to challenge anyone but they have this built up ego and this need to feel authority and be in control and any challenge sort of puts that into question and yeah. and they made it to that position so they should like they should be able to like if they if they think i'm just asking why i'm not asking them to like build a building i'm just asking them why they should be able to answer every decision should because i've worked in government for six years 
Every decision that you make should have a reason behind it. So if you can't give the decision why behind the reason, that says something right there. But sometimes, though, is it, it's an eternal um, thing. Well, my they, this is what the people before me did, and this is what's accepted in where I am. You know, um, this is what I have to do. I don't know why. It's just what I need to do to be in this position. <laughs> you know, and unfortunately, it throws other people like us under the bus. Mm-hmm. And I always, I just fight because I think I have the privilege I can. I can push back and say why, um, mm-hmm. because the way I look. <laughs> so, and where, so I fight because that's just what I do. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. but even though as soon as I say I'm autistic, they just, they write me off. But, but thank you for doing that though. It's just like in my case, okay. I had a bring it to marriage 24 years ago. People look at me and automatically think she had a brain injury. I'm not, we're not gonna listen to her. Mm. We're not gonna, you know, whatever, whatever she has to say, whatever she has to bring to the table, it's irrelevant because she's messed up, you know. And now I've also been diagnosed with ataxia. So, you know, that's an even greater risk right there for most people you know the conversation we're having today would you know any then unless I told you no people don't yeah people don't think that I'm autistic unless I tell them they're like but you're looking in the eyes I'm like yeah 37 years of me being told to look in the eyes (laughs) right you may be able to obviously pick up that there's things wrong with us you know but you don't get to judge, you know, what they're dealing with or how they can bring things to the table and things like that, you know? That's ableism right there. Yeah. And manipulation. Um, I do you have any other questions for <laughs> me? That's funny though. Like um, we ought to actually use that and because it's an awkward thing in the audience of the ableist, you know, it's kind of like this is what you do when we talk. It's like we don't know what to say. This is awkward, and we're just gonna shut down, you know. And that's how we feel. No, that's funny. Um, do you have any more questions? No, I think I think it was a really good conversation. Thank and you. I, I did being here. Yeah, thank you, Shelly, for sharing your story. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I love talking with others of the disability community. It really is. It's really energizing. I find. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, we will definitely reach out to you again and probably have more conversations. Yes. Thank yes, that would be great. I did, was watching some of the roundtables that you had. Oh, awesome. Great. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks, Shelly. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye-bye.